Pius and his singing. Thank you so much. I think we're going to go to the Kennedy Center and see what we can do over there. Turn this thing around. I want to give a special shout out to Brother Marcus. Thank you, Marcus, for inviting your two guests this morning. I certainly appreciate that. Miss Watley and Miss Crabtree, is that right? Thank you so much for being here. We certainly appreciate that. Marcus, you're doing a little vandalism. I appreciate that, man. Right. Make me think you're hearing me over here or something. That's a good thing. So, Daisy, it's good to see you. Amen. All right. Yeah, God is good. Amen. I knew that uh, you would be victorious, just a matter of waiting for it to come to pass. you here now. Amen. That's a good thing. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for praying for her, too. We certainly appreciate that. I know your bulletin says book of Jeremiah, but I want to change that a little bit. I want you to join me in the book of Exodus chapter 4 this afternoon, Exodus chapter 4, and I want to read verses 10 through 16. Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 16. Well, it looked like y'all kind of pushed service along pretty quick today. That might be an indication of one or two things. Either you're saying to me, Pastor, take your time, which I seriously doubt. Oh, uh, thank you, Brother Ricky. May the anointing be fresh upon you in Jesus' name. Or you're telling me, Pastor, it's hot outside. We want to get up out of here as quick as possible, so get this thing going. Turn the AC up. We good. Amen. Exodus chapter 4, beginning at verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since thou hast spoken to thy servant. For I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him dumb or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then, go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. But he said, Please, Lord, now send the message by whomever thou wilt. And the the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. And he said, Is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently. And moreover, behold, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. And you are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth. And I will teach you what you are to do. Moreover, He shall speak for you to the people, and it shall come about that he shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be as a God to him. 
Amen. Word of the Lord, you may be seated. Warning, watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. We have been at least invited by the narrative in Genesis chapter 3. The language that we speak carries a tremendous amount of both power as well as persuasion to make a difference in the ears that hear those words. We are likewise challenged to remember perhaps some of the old sage of yesteryear who used to warn us about language that we speak and to advise us to make sure that we speak words or at least think about them before they come out of our mouth. I can remember Lucille West who used to look at me, my grandmother, as if she already knew sovereignly what was in my mind and she would quickly tell me, watch your mouth to save your teeth. I don't know if that was divine. I don't know what that was, divine intervention or divine intuition or uh, divine omnipresence or divine omniscience. I don't know what that was, but she'd tell you quick before it come out of your mouth. You might want to think about it if you're trying to save them teeth that you got. Because once you lose that set, you ain't getting no more. So watch your mouth to save your teeth. In essence, she was reminding us to think before you speak because once those words are spoken, they cannot be retracted. When they are out there, they are out there and the consequence can be overwhelmingly grave. Be careful what you release into the air for your words can either be toxic, they can be words that destroy people, your words can be transformable. They can bring about transformation in the lives of those who hear them. Or they can be teaching words. An individual can finally hear words that will bring life to them, but more importantly, instruct them how to get from point A to point B. The speech that I speak, I need to wrestle with, and I challenge you to ask yourself the question, the way that you talk now, the language that you use and the words that you use to convey your language, are they a blessing to life or are they a curse to life? You think about that. I'm glad you're quiet. Just marinate that for a moment because I need for you to also ask yourself the question, am I an encourager or does my words discourage people? I want you to also consider, do I create stars through my words or do I create scars through my words? Am I creating an atmosphere where there is the expression of God's divinity in the air because I'm speaking prophetically in somebody's life or am I scarring them even prophetically with the words that I'm speaking that actually are doing deconstruction? 
because we have a way of saying some things, and even I have to watch this, we say things and we tell people I mean what I say. But in meaning what you say, how you say it can very well not only mean what you say, but it can also destroy what you're trying to say. Because what you've said has been said in such a manner that it is not receptive to the ears that is listening to it. I want to use for the text of Exodus chapter 4, and I purposely shifted the text this afternoon for this service, because we learned this morning in Jeremiah that God had to take this young man that he called into the prophetic ministry and he had to correct his speech because in the calling of Jeremiah he made it clear to God I am too young and I don't know how to talk and God had to remind him that before you were even born I had already assigned your life to the prophetic ministry I had already anointed your life. He tells Jeremiah, before you were formed, I had already, I knew you. Before you were born, I had already appointed you, already anointed you to ministry. But he had to correct his speech. He had to consecrate his speech because Jeremiah was speaking bad language. Language that suggests that he could not fulfill God's expectation. And perhaps we are sitting in this sanctuary this morning with an idea in mind that all, no matter what the word of God says, I can't do it. I can't do it because I have not yet formed in my understanding that what I say will actually come to life, good or bad. But we learn from Proverbs, particularly around that 18th chapter, I think it's maybe 19, that life and death is in the power of the tongue, but my life will reap the fruit of my words. What I say will determine what kind of fruit I'm going to eat. And I tried to warn the people this morning, be careful how you speak to those around you don't tell your wife husband that she looks and acts like her mama. Don't, don't do that. Because you very well may be planting seeds that will bring forth fruit in due season that just might resemble whomever her mother is. Wives, don't tell your husband that he reminds you of her daddy, of his daddy. Don't do that. Because that might not be what you really want to see in due season. But you want to speak words that accent life. That means the words that are complementary. For example, if your wife, if your girlfriend has put on a beautiful garment, remind her not only how good she looks in it, but how it seems to affect her whole demeanor. not only look good in that dress baby but there is something about that dress that no one else could possibly fit it the way that you are fitting it accent uh, trust me honesty is not the best word all the time when she says how do I look it's probably best to say good don't 
Don't, don't say, child, let me tell you, uh-uh, you just. No, no. Accent. Or, my words should be about affirming. You know how many people who just simply want to hear that I'm okay where I am. Now, here's what I mean by that. I may not look like what someone expects for me to look like. But I thank you for recognizing me for who I am and thank you for saying I look good the way I am. Affirmation. You know how many people are trying to change their ideas, change their outlook, change their whole picture of life, change how they look themselves just to hear someone say you look good too. Affirmation. Young people wrestle with that tremendously. Once we get a certain age, it's not that big of a deal anymore because we kind of figure we got what we got and that is what it is and that's the end of that story. But young people aren't like that. They are trying to explore and discover life and they need affirmation. Or the one who is contemplating what should I do to get attention? And they are working to get attention because they need someone to affirm them where they are. And so I say to parents, don't gloss over what your children say to you that may sound insignificant. You might want to deposit that in your spirit and take a look at it because they may be looking for some words to really affirm them and don't feel like they are getting it. Brethren, we can't get mad because someone else affirms the beauty of our wives or our ladies. Say amen, somebody. Good God Almighty. I mean, why would I want someone else to affirm what I should already know? Sisters, don't get mad because another sister looks and tells you how fine your man is. Affirmation is critical. And that's what my speech should do. Or I should have speech that acquires life. Acquiring life means that I'm trying to gain from the source to which I'm speaking. I want to find out. Here's the thing that we don't do a lot. We don't find out what's going on with people. We are quick to give salutations and then exit them, leave them where they are. When they are dying for someone to ask, how are you doing? But not just ask, how are you doing? Go further. Because they want you to acquire out of them what is going on in the inside of them. When you read the story of Exodus, it is reminiscent of what we find in the book of Jeremiah. A calling on the life of Moses and that he would respond in an affirming factor that God has called me, watch this, to be the mouthpiece to Israel. That means that the words that Moses now is going to speak will become critical to what God is trying to do. Let me highlight something that I read this morning in the Gospel of Matthew. Actually, I read it in the Gospel of Luke, and I'm going to read it in Matthew's Gospel this afternoon. And it's a bit different, but yet it holds the same connotation that Jesus reminds us that to show you just how powerful our words are and why we are warned to watch our mouth, Jesus paints this picture for us. He says in Matthew 12, and beginning in verse 33, make the tree good and its fruit, or make the tree bad, and it's fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. 
You broad of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. I'm going to go light on you, but I'm going to tell you what that really means. You meant to curse me when you curse me. That's what the text says. It was in here. Now, I know here's our defense. Charge it to my head and not my heart. The only problem with that theologically is we've got a disconnect or a difference because God is saying if it came out of here, it was already in here. Don't shoot me, shoot the messenger of the text, not me. If it's in here, it's going to come out of here because he makes the analogy, no good tree can bring forth bad fruit. It's a good tree is going to bring good fruit and a bad tree going to bring bad fruit. And the only way to make sure that you don't have a reversal is to just replant the whole tree as it is. So listen to what Jesus says. The good man out of the good treasure bring forth what is good and the evil man out of the evil treasures bring forth what is evil. And I say to you, Here's what I want to tell you. Every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. Even when we whisper under our breath, it's being recorded in the heavens. I did think about you when I read that passage. So here, here is what, here's what verse 37 says. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. Watch your mouth. Because your words will justify by way of bringing forth, or your words will condemn you even after being spoken, they will manifest themselves either in the good or in the bad. God had to, as he did with Jeremiah, correct Moses, who responded to God by saying, Lord, I am just not eloquent enough to be able to handle this assignment about being the prophetic mouthpiece for Israel. He says in verse 10 that I'm not only not eloquent, but I have never had the ability to speak in the past nor in the present. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. You can see yourself in Moses. Because Moses is already setting up in his mind psychologically that I am not able to speak affirming words nor can I speak words that accent life, nor can I speak words that acquire life, nor can I speak words that build life. Instead, all I can do is operate in the deficiency I believe that I have. And I want to tell you, like I told the church this morning, it's critical what follows the two phrases that we often use, I am and you are. Because if I know what's going to come after I am, it better be words of affirmation, words of truth, words of identity, words of power. As simple as message is, 
90% of us won't get it. We're going to leave out of here not understanding what Jesus did with the simple phrase, I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God but by me. That's Jesus' words. But being challenged by those who heard him speak and said, what gives you the authority to use the words that you are using? How can you say to someone their sins are forgiven? Only God has that authority. Not understanding, watch this now, in John 1, he had already been given the assignment by God to represent God by way of becoming flesh among men. So whatever God put in him in eternity, for eternity, he brought it down to humanity to exist that he might speak it in the midst of those who would listen to his word and do so with authority. Watch this. That's because you and I, as now incarnate by the Spirit of God, servants of the Most High, we've been anointed with authority to speak, and yet we don't do it. We've been given the authority to say, I am resurrection and life. That means that although I may be knocked down and it may even look like I might die, listen to Jesus as he converses with Mary and Martha and he calls Lazarus back from the grave and he makes this one phrase after he comes out of the grave, loose him and let him go. Because if I learn how to use my words, I don't necessarily have to bind somebody in the negativity, but I can loose them to begin to enjoy the freedom that God has in their life if I can allow my words to loose. Listen to what this text says. God told Moses, when I speak, I'm going to use your mouth that you might speak words. And when you speak to your friend Mo or your relative Aaron, when you talk to him, you are going to not only speak for me, but you are going to be like God. God to him. There it is right in the text. Right in the text. There it is. Right in the text. Look closely at verse 16. Right there in the text. Because God is telling Moses, I want to use your mouth to speak into the lives of those who can't speak for themselves and who won't speak in the affirmative when they already have it. So I need for you to man up and woman up and become the servant that I've called you to be. Look what he says. Moses says, I can't do it, God, because the assignment is too broad for me. And listen to what God says. I need you to first understand, when you start questioning what kind of language I should use, God says, who made your mouth? Who gives you the ability to be mute or to be able to speak? Who, who made who you are, whether you become blind or you become deaf? Who, who is the author of that? Watch this now. Who's the author of your language? Who's the author of your words? And then look what he says. He says, I am the one. Is it not the Lord God who is the one? That, now, then go and look at verse 12. I will be with you. And I will teach you what to say. One reason why we don't know what to say, because we haven't ran the manual that will give us words to say. 
See, if I understand what God is saying to Moses, God says to Moses, I, I need for you to get this language thing down because I want you to start talking words of deliverance. What does that mean? Well, Moses' famous phrase when he goes before Pharaoh is going to be just simply this. Let my people go. That's all he needs to say to Pharaoh. Let my people go. Pharaoh ain't going to give up nothing because you say let my people go. Oh, but God, is, but I need for you to speak it. Even though I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart purposely. I've often wondered why would God harden the heart knowing that Pharaoh is going to get worse as time goes. But it wasn't for Pharaoh. I'm convinced it was for Moses. Because Moses had to keep coming back over and over again. But in return, he gets to witness God's prophetic. Ah, that's what I want to tell you right there. I want you to understand that when you speak words, they are prophetic. That means that when you send it out, it's got a mission. The mission will be determined by how you desire for it to meet its destiny. God knew that he would harden Pharaoh's heart, but he also knew that unless Moses understood the importance of being able to speak words of deliverance repeatedly, he wouldn't be able to see God manifest his word in the life of Pharaoh as he hardens Pharaoh's heart over and over again. So he gets to see the lice, he gets to see the frogs, he gets to see the, the river turn into blood, he gets to see the death of the animals, and not until Moses goes back to Pharaoh in that last time and you can see the shift in his language. I told you, Jehovah said, if you don't get it right, you don't let my people go. Something worse going to happen. And when God tells Moses, now I want you to go back and speak this very word. Don't worry about it. He will not believe you. But when I cause the firstborn to die on tomorrow morning, he will realize that I am the Lord thy God and I change not and I am not to be played with. And when Pharaoh woke up the next morning and discovered that his firstborn was gone. Pharaoh said, my God, Moses' words mean something. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. You may not see when you begin to speak, change immediately. But don't you change because you don't see a change. You keep speaking that word over that situation. And in time, God will bring manifestation, which is what he tells Moses. Because when you speak words of deliverance, you don't ever think that an oppressor will leave you instantly because you say, get out of here, do you? But it's going to take a wrestling. Here it is in the text. It's going to take a wrestling. And God tells Moses, I will be with you in your mouth. I've been a part of some situations where I knew what I wanted to say. I knew what I wanted to say. But remember, as that prophetic voice, I discovered what God wanted me to say. 
And I'm just here to tell you, you ain't got to believe me. Just keep living. You'll you experience it. Whenever you decide to go ahead on and embrace God, even though I mean I have, I'm fighting, I mean fighting like I don't know what, but God, you don't know. If you let me say it this way, it will make an effect because I know these people. I mean, God, let me handle it because I have been here before. Let me handle this situation. Watch this. Let me show you how God will shut your mouth when you begin to do what you don't supposed to do. In Luke chapter 1, when the angel shows up and tells Zachariah that his wife Elizabeth is going to have a child, Zachariah says, it just can't be possible. First of all, me and her, too old for this kind of situation. It just can't happen. And listen to what happens. And the angel says, this time next year, it's going to happen. You're going to have a son, and his name's going to be John. And Zachariah said, I, I, I can't work with it. I can't buy it. I cannot speak this kind of thing that gives the affirmation that God's going to do the impossible. So the angel says, all right, God says, from this day forward until John is born, your mouth will be sealed shut. Read it for yourself, Luke chapter 1. And when Zechariah is born, I mean when uh, John is born, then you will be able to speak. Read the story. When John the Baptist comes out of the temple, he was in the temple doing service that day, and they were asking him, what did God say? And all he could say was, <laughs> as humorous as that sounds, Thanks be unto God that he has a way of sealing our lips so that we don't say something ridiculous, something out of his will, something that brings about destruction, but instead we are quiet until we know exactly what it is that God wants us to say. Why? Because it's not language of destruction, it's language of deliverance. And here it is right here. He tells Moses, I will be inside your mouth. Do you get that? I'll get in your mouth. He says them in verse 12, I will get in your mouth and I will teach you what you are to say. You think Moses got it? No. Please, please God, let somebody else carry out this assignment. And God says, no. Verse 14, Moses, I know you got a brother named Aaron, and I know that he's fluent in speech, and I know he's coming out to meet you, and he's going to be glad when he see you. Now, verse, verse 15 is the culmination. Watch this. You are to speak to him. Now, look at this text closely and put words in his mouth. How, how do you put words in somebody else. First thing we say is, hey, hey, don't put words in my mouth. Don't say something that I didn't really say. Listen to what he says. Not just words of deliverance, but words of dependency. That means that God is saying to us, I need for you to change your language because I want you to exercise I will language. Do you know what I will language is? Listen to Psalm 34 and 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. Do you hear the emphaticism in I will? 
Do you hear the encouragement in I will? I will do it. I'm going to state it. I'm going to stand on it. I'm going to stand on the authority in it. I will bless God at all times. And if that ain't enough, the psalmist says in Psalm 23, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Do you hear that I will language? Listen to Psalm 9, verse 1 and 2. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart and I will tell of his wondrous works he has done for me. God is trying to tell Moses, if, would you take a moment and reflect and he's telling us, rather than to put negativity in your mouth, how about thinking about all that I've done for you and allow that to be the driving force of your language so that when you come into his courts with thanksgiving and praise it doesn't take much for you to bless the Lord at all times that means every time and every condition and every situation I give thanks to God not realizing why I'm there sometimes not understanding why I'm there sometimes not understanding why this situation is working away but I'm going to bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be be in my mouth. I will tell of the wondrous works of God. That's the kind of language of deliverance that comes out of my life and my mouth, says the text. Or how about Psalm 100 verse 4? Be thankful and bless his name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Not this kind of language, I can't do it. It's just not possible. I wasn't born in the right neighborhood. I didn't come from the right family. I don't have the right education. No, no, that's, that's the wrong language, says the text. And here Moses is coming from a tremendously gifted background, being in the Egyptian court, and he is yet telling God, I can't speak for you. I don't have the wherewithal to speak the kind of language that you want. We often speak language of defeat and language of distance. Language of distance suggests that we are so far off the mark of God's kingdom in terms of being prophetic that we no longer entertain the power that we have within us. That's a part of our problem. We don't realize how much power we really have. And the devil doesn't want us to recognize how powerful we are. So God says to Moses, I'm going to put words in his mouth. I will be in your mouth and in the mouth of Aaron and I will teach you what you are to do. Now why is that important? Twice he says that in this text, which says to me that Moses didn't get it. Moses was not interested in trying to understand that I'm going to put in your mouth what you need to speak. In fact, Moses wrestled with the idea that uh, God speaking for you could very well get me in a lot of trouble. And he gave him an example. He said, just to show you how wonderful and anointing I have of your life, what's in your hand? There's a rod there. He says, throws it to the ground. Now, I find interesting, 
of all creatures for God to turn this rod into, he turns it into a serpent. Remember when we first started talking about this language business, who gave us problems in the first place? The serpent in Genesis chapter 3. And yet God uses that to transition the rod into a serpent to show Moses it don't matter. The worst of language I can transform into the best of language for my glory. He tells him, now pick it back up. And when he touches the end of the rod, it, it, the snake, it turns back into a rod. And then he says, that's not convincing enough. Put your hand in your bosom. He puts his hand in his bosom and he brings it out. And it is as leprous as white. And Moses is hit with fear. And then he says, put it back in your bosom. He puts it back in his bosom, pulls it back out. And it's just as clear as the rest of his anatomy. That episode tells us that sometimes, no matter how much God does for us, we still won't believe what he's done with us. The miracle is right there. We look back and we say, I cannot believe how I got over. I, I just can't believe it, and I can't believe God did it. And yet we are at another Red Sea crossing. And rather than to speak words, I'm going through, I'm going over, I am more than a conqueror, I am victorious, I'm going to come out of this, I'm going to win, I am the head, not the tail. We speak language of defeat. Come on, man. Come on. And here it is right here in the text. God says in verse 15, I'm going to put words in your mouth, but here it is, I'm going to teach you. Which is God's way of saying, I know you don't know how to speak the right stuff right now, but if you work with me, give me something to work with, I'm going to work with you. I'm going to help build your vocabulary of praise. And then he says in verse 16, not only do I want you to be a person who exercises words of deliverance and words of dependency, but I want you to be a person who exercises words of decisiveness. Listen to verse 16. Moreover, he shall speak to the people. He shall speak for you to the people. And it shall come about that he shall be as a mouth for you. And you shall be as God to him. Man, that's a big statement. One of the reasons why our speech fails us is because we are not decisive enough. What I mean by decisiveness is, here's my reference point, then I'm done. In Joshua chapter 24, as he is in the evening of his years, about ready to check out into eternity, Joshua notices the demise of Israel, even after crossing Canaan, crossing the Jordan into Canaan, even after watching the walls of Jericho fall, even after watching the conquering of the land and the distribution of the land, out of all that God does, they revert back to serving idol gods. And as Joshua comes to the end of his journey, he is sharing his farewell message. He closes it in Joshua 24, around verse 16, and says, Choose you this day whom you will serve. He says to them, Make a decision. Be decisive about what you're going to do for the kingdom. Whether you serve the gods of your father, which were on the other side of the flood, in whose land you dwell, I, I don't know. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. 
Joshua says, we have elected to exercise words of decisiveness because we realize when you make a decision for the kingdom, God dispatches not just the authority he's already given, but all the help that you need to be victorious in that thing. Here's what I want you to trip. I want you to shout on. Watch this. Here's a shouting point. But you shall be as God to him. That means that the language that I put in your mouth as you speak into someone else's life, you become the go-between. You become the person who intercedes. See, 1 John, 1 John chapter 1, 3, and 5 reminds us of how important it is to understand the ministry of intercession because you have to sometimes cry out on behalf of someone else who don't know how to put together the words to cry out. So I need you, says God. And you become, here's what we sometimes misinterpret, People reverence other people and sometimes it can get far beyond what it needs to be. But it's kind of difficult not to honor someone who has helped you walk through a dark time. Who has spoken words of encouragement. For example, it's, 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 there's no way I can X out of my life Lucia West. It's just not going to happen. Lucia West takes preeminence over my mama and my daddy because of what she spoke into my life as a boy in front of the picture window, washing dishes, chewing juicy fruit chewing gum. <laughs> While I'm at the background at the table waiting for the biscuits to come out of the oven. And she's singing, pass me not, O gentle Savior, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. My question, Grandmama, why are you singing them same songs all the time? Her response, you don't understand right now. But when you grow up, you will see. How will I see, Grandmama? Oh, because the Lord going to call you to do something. That was back in 1967. She speaks over my life. Here I am, 30 some years later, or actually like 40 some years later, actually 50. Ooh, I better just go around. <laughs> Carrying out that prophetic call. And if Lucille West tell you it's gonna happen, God knows I believe it's gonna happen. When Lucille West tell you, don't say it, I ain't going to say it. Watch your mouth. Save your teeth. Because Lucille helped me save them teeth a lot of days. It was here. But Lucille came to me as God. Now watch this. This is not idolatry. This is not idolatry. This is God, what we call an anthropomorphism. God moving from glory into earth in the image of a particularity that we might recognize with it. See what I'm saying? Watch this. So that when the uh, Israelites were moving in the wilderness, the Bible says that he led them by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud 
by day. So God came down and got in the cloud and the fire to give Israel direction at night and during the day so that they could see the manifestation of who God was. So God is not just relegated into the heavens. God comes down and works through human beings and human systems to show us how God is flesh. That's the reason why the word says in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God and the word became flesh and dwelled among us and we beheld his glory as the only begotten son of God full of grace and truth. Why? Because God says in order for you to feel that I know how you feel, I got to come and live among you. That's why when Jesus came to the world, he was able to look at hungry people and tell them I am the bread of life and give them bread. I am the water of life and give them water. I am the light of the world and give them light. I am the first and the last and be before and behind them. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I am all of that because he comes down and utilizes real people. Here it is right here. He tells Moses, I'm going to have Aaron be unto you as I am to Aaron, God. I'm going to speak through Aaron to speak into your life that you can speak into the life of the Israel. Because Moses' biggest question was, what do I say if they say God has not spoken to me? Read back in chapter 3. Tell them that I am. That I am. See, whatever they're telling Moses, whatever they need for me to be, I will be because that's who I am. And I'm done. That's what God came, came for me to tell you today. Whatever you need for him to be, that's who he is. That's how he can give you the language. Of not just dependency and deliverance, but language of decisiveness choose you so here's my closing remark I challenge you to stop choosing negative language 